Yes, so you notice Randall said you can ask Logan any and every question in life. And so he's your guy, right? Logan, can you answer every question in life? Right, that Randall just, yeah, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> no, man, so glad y'all are here today. I'm Steve Hambrick, lead pastor at Vintage. And if you've been at Vintage the last several weeks, you know we've been talking about resistance, uh, just in the context of life, that we're journeying with the Lord and and, uh, and all of a sudden there's this resistance. And so, as, you know, when you talk about things, it's seemingly all of a sudden they start happening the week of, right? And so I want to take a moment this morning, and I just want to invite you before the Lord. Um, and what this mean, what I mean by that is like, as if you're before the Lord, I invite you to close your eyes. And, uh, and I just want to invite you, um, just, just a moment here. What we want to do is we want to have a moment to come to hand things over to the Lord. Um, I believe there are so many weights that each of us are carrying this week. I want you just to, so just follow me in this. Basically, I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of lead you through kind of seeing some of these things with your mind's eyes. You close your eyes. And then we're going to all of a sudden take our eyes from those things and turn them to Jesus. And as if you're going to take your hands before the Lord and hand them over. So I want you to take just a few minutes, just, just a second. And I want you to feel the weight, uh, the resistance if you've experienced this week. I want you to see the situations, the people, the moments, maybe just the feelings, the things that were pushing against you. And just see them as these weights uh, that are trying to weigh you down. And now I just want to invite you we're just, to, just to turn, almost like turn your mind's eye. And I want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to see him as far and distant, but I want you to see him as right in front of you. In his radiance, just exuding love, joy, flowing from him. His face, he's excited to see you. And I want you just, as best as you understand, as you're in prayer, say, God, he... I give you the resistance. I give you the weight. And now I'm going to pray over you, Jesus. We come, and God, you know, Lord, the world in which we live, you lived it. You know the resistance, you know the tension. You know, the work of the enemy, you stated it's to kill, steal, and destroy. But you've come. But you've come. You're present. And you've come and you're present that we might have life in abundance. And so this morning, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, would you come today? In a new way, and would you pour yourself out? Would you fill us again? Would you flood us with the knowledge of Jesus' love? Would you flood us today with the confidence of the cross and the resurrection? God, would you fill us again today with this deep knowledge of the grace of God? Today, that we would live aware of the sending of your Spirit Fill us completely. And today, Lord, I I speak to those weights and say, we've given them to Jesus and we've received life from him. And so, Jesus, have your way. We pray this in your name. 
Amen. Hey, thanks for doing that with me. Uh, that was really just for me. I just wanted you to enjoy it with me. <laughs> no, it's been one of those weeks, hasn't it? And uh, I am tired this morning, so I'm going to drink coffee as I speak. So I want to say welcome. Uh, we believe that God is doing an incredible work uh, in this season at Vintage. And, and it's been a season, we've been using this word, I've been using this word, transition, that God just seemingly is doing a lot of things. And, and even this morning, we experienced a great transition in our children's ministry. You know, last week was Gerilyn and Rick Winther's last Sunday with us. And for those of you who came to the party afterwards, we had a great time and lots of tears were shed and lots of lots of laughter. I mean, it was just so good to see people celebrating uh, those who have served so faithfully at Vintage. And I want to say with them not being here this morning and being a different church serving that we still love them. Right. I want you to hear like even though they, we weren't just saying it last week, we really do. We love we appreciate their time with us. We are and we're praying God's best. I mean, literally in our prayer time and staff, we've taken time and just prayed for God's blessing. We prayed that the fruit of her ministry, where she's going, would far exceed her, her fruit here. Right. And I want to invite you to continue praying into that. And in that at the same time, I want to alleviate any concerns or fears that you may have. Like, what are we going to do now? Uh, tomorrow, next, see the next 48 hours, we're going to send out an email. And the email, you're going to see a new face that you never met before, and it's Penny Harrison. And Penny, um, it was really, I think I told you this, I told you this story um, when Gerilyn was stepping out. But I basically said, hey, listen, I, I had this conversation with Gerilyn on the phone where she said, I'm leaving. And I'm like, God, what are we going to do? Opened up my email, and there is a friend request from LinkedIn from Penny Harrison. And basically it says, um, it says children's ministry consultant coming to help churches f- take their next steps. It's literally the very first thing that I saw in my email, like Jesus and Penny are good friends. I'm like, and she said, literally, I had just named myself that within the last 48 hours. Right. It was like, she goes, you're the first call I've ever gotten in my life. She goes, it was this confirmation that God was doing. So my point is, so we've, what we've done is this, we've hired Penny to come in and help us in the search, but we've all, I'll also look at her and said, Hey, would you just come and be our interim? <laughs> She's like, absolutely, right? And so Penny was on staff at Riverstone for I don't know how many years, our quote-unquote parent church. Then she was on staff at one of our partner churches, Stonebridge, for like 10 years doing children's ministry. And she just stepped out last year, and she's now going back to Mount Perrin to teach. But in this season, she's going to be filling in in the interim. So what you have, again, someone who has... I don't know, 20 to 30 years of experience in children's ministry, a real passion in this, a real giftedness. And so with that, I want you to know your children are in good hands. But here's the really cool thing, and I want to celebrate this morning. When all of this happened, uh, April and I sat down with, I don't know, we sat down and talked. April was like, here, we had a conversation about people, and we named, I don't know, between 8 and 10 people at Vintage that we pursued and said, hey, in this season, would you be willing, they're all part of people at Vintage, people that you know, your friends, said, would you be willing to step in in this season and, ju- and help lead? And all of them said yes. And so it's been fantastic that we now have people who are leading back here in a powerful way. And, and, and I'm excited. My point is I want you to be confident that there's not going to be any step back in children's ministry, that God's going to be moving, your children going to be taken care of and be loved well. And this week there's going to be an email going out and Penny's going to be talking on it going, hey, this is who I am. I invited her to come speak right here this morning, but she couldn't do it because she was the teaching stuff and being the first week with uh, Gerilyn being gone. But you're going to see a video this week and this is the email coming out from her just talking about her love for kids and her love for events and her excitement to be here. So with that, y'all be in prayer for Penny specifically and for our team. 
If you get a chance today, just go back and introduce yourself and tell her who you are and tell her you're excited that she's here. All right, well, we've been in this season um, of vintage after, after uh, Easter, honestly talking about the work and the movement of the person of the Holy Spirit, right? We've been talking about this idea of the empowerment of God's Spirit and the personality of the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about this work in the early church of the Holy Spirit, right? Just seeing the power of God move in miraculous ways. And we looked at these, su- these summary stories in Acts 2 and Acts 5 uh, that Luke does of talking about the things that are happening in the early church. And in that, what I want to hear me say, I just want to kind of recap, because what he says is, hey, when the power of God's spirit was moving in the early church, here are the four things that you primarily see happening that are defining pieces of the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. Like when we talk about being empowered by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, like here's what he's empowering the church to do. And so you see these four different things. We name them several weeks ago. Number one, you see signs and wonders. You see miracles and healings, right? You see the church having great influence in the community in which they live to it to the point it says, and they had the favor of all the people around them. So they have incredible influence, both in those who believed and those who did not believe, right? They just saw the church had great influence and was doing powerful things. We see the Holy Spirit empowering the church to live in a level of authentic community and spiritual family, right? Just living sacrificially and living with humility and selling their possessions and giving their lives away. Just beautiful expressions of selflessness, of loving one another. And the fourth is people were coming to Christ left and right. We know there are situations and moments where thousands of people in one moment were giving their lives to Jesus. This was not the work of a human being. It was it was the expression of the work of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. And what we began to look at then was that, man, there was resistance happening. Resistance happened. We saw it. Chapter 5, these four great things are happening, and then there's resistance. Then there's persecution. But in the midst of all of this, right, they continued to move and to obey and experience the work and the person and the power of God's Holy Spirit through them. And so what I want to talk about this morning then is that there is this call of God for us to live our life empowered by his spirit. And I think that each of us desire that. The four things that I named a second ago, all of us would love to begin to see those things happen. And those things happen because of the person, the presence of God's spirit working in the lives of believers, working in the lives of the church. But this morning, I want to name and highlight from Acts chapter eight, a cautionary tale. When we look at two different people in this Acts chapter eight and kind of this this extreme polar opposites and the idea, though, of both desiring and expressing some level of power in the context of their lives. Those two people are Philip. The evangelist, not Philip the apostle, but Philip the evangelist and Simon the sorcerer. So let's begin here in Acts. We find two different Philips. You may not know this, right? The first is the uh, apostle Philip, the disciple of Jesus. He's named in chapter in Acts chapter one, verse 13, along with, you know, Peter and, and John and Bartholomew and Nathaniel. Keep going on the line, right? All the ones who forget their names, right? And then second, so you have this guy. This is the one we read about and, and who's the, who's the disciple of Jesus. But the second Philip historically is known as Philip the evangelist. 
He's highlighted as one who's given responsibility along with Stephen and five others for the feeding of the Hellenistic Jews. Remember that kind of dispute broke out like, hey, we're not being fed the same amount. So the, the, the apostles said, hey, let's highlight those who are not the apostles. These seven over here will raise them up. And Philip, this other Philip, was one of those people. And I love this story you're about to read in Acts chapter 8 because of this reason. And hear this. Philip's just like us. Like when we read in the first like eight, seven chapters, six chapters of Acts, all the great stories revolve around the familiar characters. We got the Jesus guy, right? He's pretty important. You got the Jesus guy over here. Then you have like the Peters and the Johns. You got all the apostles. And you think, yeah, those who've been walking with Jesus, eating with Jesus, doing stuff with Jesus. Yes, they're like the usual suspects. And so we love the stories about those guys, but we go, but they're apostles, right? Like right now they have churches named after them and pictures with like glowing halos around their head, right? From medieval times, you've got this thing going on. And so you have these guys and we expect those, but, but Stephen and Philip are just normal guys, normal human beings like us. They, they had converted the Hellenistic. They, they, they were these Greek people who'd come to Christ had turned their lives over, and they were just people like you and me who gave their lives to Jesus, followed Jesus. He raised them up to honestly not that really great of a job. You're given a feeding program. Okay. You don't want to go heal anybody? No, no, just feed some people. Okay. Well, we're going to do that to the best of our abilities, right? They're not the highlight of like, oh, right? It's a feeding program. You know what I'm getting at? They're a really big deal, but not really. Not in the eyes of light, not in the eyes of the miracles and legs growing, eyes being open type cool stories from the apostles. They're just feeding people. Anybody can feed people. But Philip comes along, right? Just a normal guy doing an average job like everybody else. And in Acts chapter 8, something amazing happens. So persecution's broken out. We're told in in, in chapter 8 that after Stephen's death, right, Peter's going out and persecuting the church. And it tells us in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 8.1 says all except the apostles. That's why the other Philip is over here. But Philip the evangelist was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria along with all the other parts of the church. And Saul began, right, he was persecuting them aggressively, we're told. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Going through verse 8. We're going to look at several verses this morning. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Don't you love this expression of Philip the evangelist and the lifestyle that he's living? Coming in this moment, right? And what is he doing? He's expressing the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. A normal guy, just like us, right? Not one of the apostles, but going and just doing life. And he's, and he's expressing the power of the Holy Spirit, right? People are being delivered, People who were sick, who were lame, are being healed. He went to Samaria. You all know who Samaritans are. They were Jews 
who had intermarried, so they're considered half-breeds. They're not true, true-blooded, blue-blooded Jews. No one openly likes them. That's why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, because, man, Samaritans were not good people, but Jesus called him good. And here is, here is Philip working among these people who had never received the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel. Gee, people are, listen, the four things are probably happening. We just named a second ago. We just see a couple of things that are happening here. And amazing things were happening to the point that great joy broke out in the city. What we see in Philip the Evangelist is a, is a faithfulness to God in the light of resistance. Saul is literally persecuting the church, putting people to death, coming into homes, ransacking homes, taking out women and children and all the other adults, right? There's resistance and he's facing it. He's running from it. We see a life in Philip committed to God, a life of humility. Wherever he went, he shared the good news of Jesus where those who were lost. He expressed the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to all those who were in need, all while risking persecution, all while facing legitimate resistance, living his life not what was best for self, but, but a humility of what was best for others. He wasn't hiding his light under a bushel, no. He was going to let it shine, right? That's what he's doing. He's living his life. In contrast, in this exact same chapter, we see the story of Simon the Sorcerer. We're told in Acts 8 that Simon the Sorcerer, he had, had some form of power, sorcery, witchcraft that he wielded, right? Enamoring the locals, causing him to be seen, at least in the eyes of human beings, the man of power and influence. But then Philip shows up. He reveals a greater power, the true power, the power of the Holy Spirit. In turn, everyone turns away from Simon. It doesn't turn towards Philip, it turns towards Jesus. And in this moment, we then see that contrast. Because what we find in Simon is the, the scary possibility for a man like him. He's losing his power and he's losing his influence. This is the story that we see with Simon. They both are expressing a level of power. And one is doing it for power and influence on a personal level, and the other is doing it on behalf of those that are in need. There's a level and expression of power on both sides, but one is for self, and one is based in selflessness. We pick up the story in verse 15 of Acts chapter 8. So Philip's just done his thing, and says, But when they, Peter and John, arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And hear this, verse 18. This is where we begin to see the, the life and the heart of Simon the sorcerer. This expresses when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter responded in verse 20 by saying, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. The danger, the great danger when talking about power is the very issue we see here in the life of Simon. It's an issue of pride and of selfishness. In its most simple form, pride is defined as the exaltation of self over 
another. Exalting self, making self more important than others. We all, we all, we all know what it is. We all know it when we see it. And if honest, we all experience the temptation of it in our hearts every day. The nature of exalting self, the nature of making more about self than others, defending self more than defending others, fighting for self more than fighting for others. We all recognize, we all experience, we all see it in the context of life. Pride is dangerous. Selfishness is dangerous. And it's one of the primary reasons why we don't see God's power moving in the church today. We live in the context of self. We live in the context of what's best for us. We live in the context of like Simon the sorcerer, even in the context of even sometimes going after power because we want to be known. We want to have influence. So this morning, we want to learn from Simon's story. and We want to learn from the antithesis, the opposite of this, the life of Philip. Number one, we see. His power exalted self in his life, not God. Power exalted self. Power did not exalt God. So I didn't read this, but I'm just going to just tell you. I didn't read it before. I'm going to read it here. So in verse 9, it says, Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. This is all in chapter 8. He boasted that he was someone great. Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. He had amazed all the people of Samaria. He had a great following, right? He boasted that he was someone great. The use of power in Simon's life actually defined his identity. It made him someone great. And he loved the attention. He used power for personal recognition. He used it for personal gain. And in this story, he pursues the power of Peter and John. The power of Philip, but he pursues it with an impure heart. The silent, honestly, is, excuse me, the scripture is honestly silent on exactly what his motive is. He doesn't state exactly why he wants it, but we can assume he was, his heart was impure in the area of purpose. His heart was impure of why he wanted it, what he wanted the power for. Let's imagine the scenario. Simon has the power. Endears him to the people around him. It gives him influence. It gives him power, right? And it gives him visibility. It gives him popularity. Then comes along several men who express a power greater, and Simon is drawn to it. Being drawn to the power was not wrong, but what he was drawn to it for, he wanted it for himself. His motives are not pure. He wants it so he can regain what he lost. He wants to be the center of attention and known as one of power of influence. He wants to be known. Simon's desire and yearning for power and influence, it was off center. And scripture tells us in verse 21 that it disqualified him from having a part or share in the ministry because the motives of his heart were impure. The takeaway is simple. It's on the screen. Our motive, our motive for empowerment must be to exalt God, to make much of God and have people tell God's story. We must quickly fade away so Jesus can be seen. Like you have to look at it like we're telling Simon the sorcerers, like, well, I'm doing a good job. I'm not practicing witchcraft. I'm doing good. Right. But what in your life, what part of your heart What part of it is seeking for power? 
and to have influence, to have control. What part of you finds your greatest security in having power or having influence or having control? What part of your life? Because all of us wrestle with this. You want to be known. You want your voice to be heard. You want to be known as one making a difference. And all of those things aren't necessarily wrong. It's all about the motive. Why is it for us or is it so the kingdom of God can be built? Jesus can be exalted. Our motive for empowerment must be to exalt God. In Philip, Jesus had increased. He had decreased to the point that he was willing to express the love of Jesus in light of persecution He was willing to express the love of Jesus despite the resistance that was chasing him. Listen, with no regard for himself. Ultimately giving the best of himself, knowing that it sacrificed self. Listen, Jesus died so that we could live. That's the example of our power. That we live lives before God, sacrificial, devoted to him for his purposes. Do we still need to take time and slow down and recharge? Jesus did, so yes. But as it relates to the reason that we're living our life, the power we're expressing, the influence that we want to have, we have it saying, God doesn't matter the resistance. The resistance can't stop me. I have to make much of Jesus. That's the question you ask yourself. When you argue with somebody, is it so that your point can be known or so that you can love Jesus? Do you express a level of wanting yourself to be known so that Jesus can be known or self? We have to guard our hearts. The second thing we have to recognize from Simon is that power was for entertainment, not to love God's people. The church has to be really, really careful with light shows and fog machines and then bringing people on stage and doing fun things like praying for them and having them fall in the spirit and laughing. Like, like we have to be careful in the church to say, all right, are the things that we're doing all about exalting and making much of Jesus? There's nothing wrong with fog machines and light shows. There's nothing wrong with bringing people on stage. There's nothing wrong with praying over people and seeing great things happen. Jesus did miracles in front of lots of people. There's nothing wrong with that. But what was the heartbeat behind it? What was the heartbeat? Was it to be known? Was it to make influence? Power was for entertainment for Simon. Verse 10 tells us people both high and low gave Simon their attention. Simon loved to entertain. He loved doing things that caused attention to be thrown his way and sorcery accomplished that. He entertained and people looked to him. Compare this with the power of the Holy Spirit through Philip. What, what is he hoping to accomplish with signs and wonders that he expressed? Simple. What happens? Salvation, healing, freedom, and breakthrough. 
Salvation, healing, freedom, and breakthrough. So the, so the Samaritans who did not know God could know God, love him, and be loved by him. The purpose of power in his life was not shock and awe, but to bring breakthrough to God's people who were in need of Jesus' love. In fact, I think you can make an argument that all expressions of God's power are for the purpose of making a way for God to express his love to creation. Every expression of power should act as a sign pointing people not to persons, but to Jesus. Our motives, our takeaways, we just check our own hearts. Our motive for empowerment must be to express the fullness of God's love so that those who are in need and far away can know Jesus fully. In the context of your life, do you fight more to be known and to be heard? Or to make Jesus known and to make him heard. The third thing, power was to lord over people in Simon's life, not people. Power was to lord over people, not, excuse me, not serve people. Verse 11, they followed him because he'd amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Having followers for Simon represented power. Power over people to lord over them again, to have the meeting out of his hand. But the power of God... In Jesus and his disciples and in the life of Philip was not this way. Remember, Jesus said, Matthew 20, 26 through 28, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The goal of power for Jesus was servanthood. He was a servant. He submitted himself, his gifts, his resources, and the best of himself daily to the love of God expressed by loving others. In the story, Philip, Peter, and John, they're expressing the same thing. They're serving by meeting the greatest needs of the people that they were ministering to. I have to confess in my own weariness, my own tiredness, I mean, Randall and Gina, our good friend from New York City, yesterday I had this moment just to... to, to to, to, on Saturday to take my time and to give to somebody who needed my time more than I did. I wasn't happy, <laughs> right? Being completely honest, I was tired. I just wanted to sit around and do nothing, right? And then I'm, even this morning as I was preparing and praying into it, I, I felt God speaking and saying, Steve, yes, you do need rest, but you have to recognize your life is one of a servant, and I will take you where I want you to go when I want you to go for those who need it. And I wonder how... How often do we say no because we just are not, we're not, we're too tired or because it just costs us too much or it's going to affect our lifestyle too much? You see, I think maybe the greatest resistance in our culture is comfort. The greatest resistance in our culture is comfort. And we have to fight. We have to see Jesus. We have to recognize as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus bids a person come, he bids him to come and die. We live in a culture who needs people who will sacrifice and who will serve. And will give the best of their energies. Not to those who need it. Not to those who don't need it. But to those who need it the most, right? Though, not to those who already have the fullness of Jesus, but those who need it most. What are we doing to sacrifice to give our lives away to those who need it most? Who are those people in your life? 
takeaway, our motive for empowerment must be to serve rather than be served. It's true. God sent his son to empower all of his disciples. All right, focus back in. I want you to hear that. Philip was a human being just like he was not one of the apostles with a capital A, right? They don't have the halo around his head, right? He was just Philip. The guy who didn't know Jesus one day, the apostles began to preach, do some work. Now he knows Jesus. Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him. Here's what I want you to hear me say. God sent his son to empower his disciples. God sent his spirit to overwhelm us and to empower us as the church to do those four things, signs and wonders and miracles, to have unbelievable influence in believers and unbelievers' lives, those who need him most in the context of our community, right? To live an authentic community together. Jesus never called us to live in isolation. The voice of isolation that we hear is never Jesus. And the fourth voice is to, the fourth is to bring people to Jesus. So let me just state it very emphatically as I look at every single one of you. So make sure you're looking at me. Ron, look at me. I know you're looking at stuff. You're good, man. Look at me all the way around, okay? Let me see all of your eyes. I'm making eye contact with all of you right there. This is important for you to hear, okay? All of you. I'm seeing all of you. All of you. If you know Jesus, you've been empowered by his spirit to do the works of Jesus, the works of the apostles, and the works of Philip. If you know Jesus, you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the works of Jesus, the works of the apostles, and the works of Philip. What resistance are you experiencing? What level of Simon's heart are you wrestling with of pride, of influence, of comfort? Where are you? What, what, what's the hard work you're doing of dying to sell, of asking the Holy Spirit to help you, to empower you? Where are you looking for those that are in need outside of self, outside of your own personal family, outside of your comfort zone? Where are you looking to help those that have the greatest need? Because God's looking at a hard world saying, I'm just, the eyes of the Lord, they're ranging to and fro throughout the earth to find those whose hearts he could strongly support to do his works. Let's be those who say, here I am, God, send me. Is that what we want? Is it what our hearts desire? The work of the Lord here is just be aware. Don't listen. Don't live in fear of your pride. Just be aware of it. Because the work of the Holy Spirit, what, is to convict me of pride. So just let them convict the hell out of you, the, the demons out of you, whatever it is. You know what I'm getting at. Let him convict it out of you so you're convicted to live for Jesus. Doesn't that sound better? Oh, he's so good. And he wants to do this work. He wants to move in your resistance. He wants to move in your fears. He wants to move in your insecurities. The Holy Spirit does, right? He wants to move in all of these places. He wants to awaken. He wants to empower. He wants to show you people and situations that you can express the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of resistance that is chasing you like Philip was being chased. And that, my friends, is what it means to be a Christ follower. That's the pursuit God wants to take us on. The pursuit and expression of power must have a goal of exalting Jesus. 
to set the goal out saying, Jesus, my desire is to exalt you as I, as I go after your power. Not to make much of me, but so that I can lead people who don't know you to know you, to be loved by you, and to love others. It's not wrong to say, God, I want, I want to express the power of your Holy Spirit. But I want to do it to make much of Jesus. Help me to decrease so that you can increase. So that I, as I express the love of Jesus, they don't they recognize it has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you were good. You were holy. And you've called each of us. God, you've called each of us to experience your love. Father, you've called each of us to express your love. And so, Father, this morning, I'm asking Jesus that you would awaken our hearts, Lord, to see the places of conviction, the places of your movement, the places, Lord, we need to die to self, and the places, God, we need to die to the lie of the enemy. I pray this morning, Jesus, that you... We just pray for grace, that, Lord, you would continue to awaken us and empower us, God, to live in the context of resistance. Lord, it's always going to be present, but we praise you that your grace is always sufficient to help us in those moments. And that, God, in those moments, we don't just have to survive, but in Christ, through the work and the person and the power of your Holy Spirit, we can thrive. We pray today for life. We pray for conviction. We pray for that movement. We pray, God, for a refreshing. We pray today, God, that you would begin to awaken us. You begin to show us visions and dreams of what you have for us. That, God, today we say, this is the day I'm going to move into Jesus. And, Lord, have your way in my life. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, I, I simply want to invite you to respond. Obviously, we have our offering baskets available each Sunday. This is just for acts of worship, just giving our tithes and our offerings. Box back here and giving kiosks. Ministry teams will be on both sides. Ministry teams, if they're full, just make sure you're recognizing if, you're, if you've been um, trained for ministry. If people are full, we need you to come up so we'll get prayer, okay? So make sure you do that. We'll have communion available right here for us. But here's the point. Some of I don't know where you are. These are the things you need to figure out. God, do I, am, am I so caught up in my resistance that I can't even see Jesus this morning? If that's you this morning, then ask Jesus to help you see beyond it. You can get prayer for that, okay? If you're at a place this morning where you've just said no to the, the person and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe not verbally, but just with your actions and with your lifestyle, then just say, God, forgive me for that this morning and help me today. I want to walk this path of being empowered by your spirit for your purposes, God, to exalt you. This morning, if you just feel like you're really under attack in this area, right, because the enemy fears you, so he's attacking you, then just ask, then come and get prayer this morning, or just say, pray this prayer. Jesus, he's getting on my nerves. Will you take care of him? You don't have to go fight the enemy. Why? When Jesus can do it for you. I always prayed for a bodyguard when I was a kid. Man, Jesus is our big bodyguard. He fights our battles for us. Let God do this work. For some of you this morning, say, Jesus, 
I have dreams and aspirations that you've given me for your movement. Yes, whatever you want to do in me, let God do his work in me. All right, you respond to the Lord, leads ministry team. This is the time you come forward right now, and y'all are free to go.